You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Your host, Joel O'Connor. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've been the penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Monday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel, Joel Conan. Dennis is out today, uh, and what a day he picked uh, to be out. But holy moly, I've just got the chart up of the SPY uh, on my screen, and you can just see the overnight action unkind to the market. The market is apparently very spooked this morning about coronavirus. We'll talk about that. We'll just kind of go through uh, all the sectors, all the industries, all the big movers in the morning, and we'll just break down what is happening in this market. We have guests that are going to join us later in the show, Michael Pachter, as well as a couple of guests uh, for the uh, cannabis conference that starts today. Uh, but we just have to start with this overnight action here. So, Joel, I'll bring you in now. And, I mean, what an overnight, what a Sunday night and Monday morning. Yeah, and uh, we're in the red by 82.25 handles at 32.57 and a quarter. Uh, the pre-market high that was made right off your open at 32.12. Pre-market low, 32.41.75. We're 16 handles away from that low. Uh, crude, not enjoying this uh, as well. Crude down two bucks at 51.37. Uh, but flight to quality, gold's doing what it should do. Uh, up $31 at $16.79.80. Silver going the same way too. Silver up 17 cents at $18.70 and a half. Uh, Bitcoin, not quite the flight to quality. No, nope. uh, that one would think. Um, I, and I, I, I thought that too. I thought immediately when I when I came in, and I, I, I thought Bitcoin should be up. Bitcoin will, Bitcoin will be up, and it is not. No, I mean it's it's. I don't know. That's just a it's a tight market. I guess uh, you know maybe if people are you know more looking to gold more toward the uh, traditional forms as opposed to Bitcoin. But you think that uh, 
uh, you know, we talk about stocks going, you know, up on bad news or down on, on good news. Uh, here's, a, you know, an indicator where, hey, you know, every reason in the world to be buying Bitcoin here, if you're looking at it as a safe haven, right. and it's not, it's up only $80, can't even, can't even really clear 10, did get over 10,000, 10,075, uh, that's basis to futures. Yeah, I, I thought I, I thought Bitcoin is is the truest form of a hedge. Shouldn't it be higher this morning? And I and I don't know. So if it can't go up on day today, then when will it go up? I have no idea about that market. But um, let's let's I'll just pull up chart of the spy here again, and let's just get going on this coronavirus stuff. So over the weekend, a lot of developments. Uh, seems like it is spreading. Uh, uh, beyond China now, we have uh, uh, an elevation of cases in South Korea. In Italy, more than 50,000 people are not allowed to leave their towns. Um, there was about 100 new cases, uh, 100 total cases in South Korea. Uh, Israel had its first uh, death, I believe. We had we talked about I. Uh, uh, I ran Iraq last week, and so it seems to be spreading. And we we've been wondering uh, when when will the market really seem to care? And so that that's the first question. Uh, and seems like the answer is today. Second question is when will buy the dip stop working? And that is TBD. Uh, yeah, definitely to be determined. Uh, I mean, uh, as Dennis talked about last week, he was th more looking for, you know, some problems here in the United States, you know, some major problems or some major deaths. Uh, but that didn't happen. Uh, thank God. And uh, overseas, Italy, uh, South Korea, I know Italy uh, had a big festival that was going on. So although it's not in the United States, I think that, uh, you know, getting into Europe, South Korea, more reported deaths in China uh, are doing the same effect as, uh, as having something here happening in the United States. So just under 80,000 total confirmed cases and still the vast majority, nearly all of them in mainland China. But the fact that South Korea jumped from around 600 to over 800 new cases over the weekend is is unsettling and and I, we mentioned Italy that they canceled like you said some public events in in, in Venice and, and Milan uh, so the fact that we are seeing some spread uh, is obviously the catalyst here this morning and I also think, you know, I, and I've talked about this on the show um, in the past, you know, your Friday Monday moves uh, Friday, you know, we set the low for the week, right? We settled a little bit off the low, had that mysterious rally uh, the last, you know, 8, 10, 12 minutes of the day. You were near the low. So I think that they, you know, maybe some trading systems, some algorithms, you know, they're thinking, hey, you know, when's the last time we closed on the low from the week? What happens? And you had follow through. You never even got a look at, uh, at uh, Friday's low. Friday's low was 32, uh, 28. Uh, and then if you hesitated off the open, that lower open, yeah, you just didn't have a chance. I've been selling off um, all night. We uh, have a couple green candles now, so we're we're looking we're looking at attempting to rebound here going into the open. So can you like walk us through last night and and what the tape has that like, has told us so far? Uh, straight down, straight down off the open, uh, lower open, uh, had a spike low and then just tried to work its way back. There was a couple, couple rallies, you know, nothing real significant. They really started the serious selling. Uh, let's see what happened here. 
really around 3 a.m. this morning. That's when, you know, the stocks are getting ready to open. And really from 3 a.m., they really walked it down without, uh, without you know, a good 15-minute bracket. That's when you made the low at 41.75, and now you're off that low. So uh, really, there was two spurts, one off the open. Then you did have a night. Wow, you got up to mid-range on it. That's unbelievable. And then uh, you just continued lower. So that's what you're looking at today, Spencer. Not helping matters is the fact that uh, G20 uh, leaders warned uh, this seems obvious now, but the fact that they came out and said the coronavirus uh, is a risk to global growth, um, that's definitely not helping sentiment here. This I point. mean, I think we had Apple come out last week. Right. We had right. Coca-Cola come out last week. We had, mean, we had Fed speakers come out last week and say so. So, And uh, Powell, I mean, basically said so a few weeks ago. So not a total surprise. Yeah, and, uh, you know, everyone is, you know, rely, uh, relying on, you know, lower interest rates, right? Now the Fed's going to have to do something, right? If the market goes down, the Fed has to lower interest They said rates. they're prepared. They they're said they're prepared. prepared. Yep, and um, I think you'll see, uh, you know, you'll see some uh, fiscal stimulus, you know, from all these countries, uh, you know, China. We're already uh, seeing it in, in China. <laughs> and I just, it could be a, you know. Little, little harder to do here in election year. So there's yeah. a lot of different di dynamics of the work, but you know, in the work to to rebound the market. But you know, at least is what, what the farther that this goes on, and the more warnings do you get, you really have to temper expectations for second, you know, for the second quarter of the year. Um, also, right. I don't know what the uh, economic impact of uh, you know uh, canceling the Olympics will have. If in case you know that happens, that's coming up in Tokyo in a few months. Uh, that was just mentioned. So, you know, a lot of a lot of different things can be affected by this, and you know, it's only a matter of time. I, I did hear something. I think Mr. Buffett said this is that. Well, he what a tough day for him to come on. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, he's trying to, you know, uh, he, you know, he's a very long term guy. We know he's usually he's pretty calm, uh, he's pretty <laughs> bullish. Uh, what what a what a tough day to have him on. Uh, and he was, I, I heard him ask him some questions about what are you buying and what are you selling, and he he, he was like, I I can't say that. I'm not saying that. You know, he was very. Uh, very, very tight, tight, tight lipped about it. But, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's what he has to do. He can't come out and say, well, he actually said he wasn't selling today and that well, he may, and, and, well, and, and he may, he may do some buying. So that was, uh, that's what you got from uh, Mr. Buffett. And, um, you know, that's, uh, do you want to look at um, Corona? Yeah. Do you want to look at some yeah. stocks? So, so remember back when we got that first, uh, whoosh of volatility a few weeks ago and there were about a 10 stocks that were really moving and now there's more that now there's about 15 or 20 that i would call just pure coronavirus stocks making just ridiculous moves okay um, i, I want to just start with nnvc nancy nancy vicar charlie uh this morning there are a number of like quote unquote flu shot stocks uh for lack of a better word that are just flying here and they're all making the same moves. So they're, the, the charts will all look the same, but you can see that just re, that spike. Yeah, I mean, it's hard because, you know, how long, like let's say these companies do create these things, you know, uh, the virus, you know, uh, right. vaccines or whatever, you know, is it gonna get approved automatically? Do we know the side effects? So, I mean, I think it's important if you're looking at stocks that, 
you know, are in that arena, you know, you also have to be, you have to be realistic about how long it, you know, takes to be approved, how long it takes to come to market. Uh, so let's see here. This, this is where the action will be today in these types of names. And there are a lot of them are lower priced. Most of them are lower priced. And this is where the action will be for a lot of traders. Yep, and uh, you said just going off this NNVC. I, you guys don't have, I don't have to tell you my technicals. You know the way I look at these stocks. Yeah, just... uh, so we'll just uh, we'll give you a target on the upside uh, in NNVC of 990. That's your pre market high. You've backed off that, trying to find on your 15 minute chart right now, trying to find some support here at 840. I'll just I'll just list off a bunch of stocks just so you, you and you guys just so you can have them. Uh, I've got VXRT moving here this morning. I've got INO. Again, a lot of these are low priced. INO, ENLV, and I'll pull them the charts up as well. Uh, okay. C, CJJD, and then uh, the names we had discussed previously. APT is still flying here this morning, although it's off the pre-market high. APT is a big one. Uh, AEMD, uh, that's uh, Mary Delta, AEMD. BCRX, CBLI, CODX, Lake, we've discussed, NVAX, VIR. Okay, hold on, I'm trying to write these on. What's, yeah. the, what's after NVAX? Uh, VIR and TCOM. I haven't looked at all these charts this morning, but I'm imagining that most of them are up. HTHT, uh, just, a, just any number of high flyers um, this morning. I, I want to look at the ENLV chart. Uh, Echo Nancy uh, Lima Victor, because that that 15 minute chart is it's it's just like a step up. Yeah, let's see here. Uh, this one now nah, this one was kind of quiet. Did they come out with some some recent news here? Because it uh, I guess it's because it's such they, a they don't need news. It's uh, no, I mean before because this one really didn't have a bump until today. I mean it did move up. Well, from... this, this is an Israeli company, I believe. Um, and there is, there is the case in Israel. So, okay. Uh, well, if you're looking for a target on the upside, folks, 1699 is where it got to, and it backed off to 1430. Uh, so, uh, this one's a little bit different here than some of these other ones because it didn't have the ridiculous pop last time. So there could be, and I'm saying could with a capital C-O-U-L-D, could be less overhead supply on this one because pe people aren't stuck on it. You know what I mean? Right. right. So that, that's a new phenomenon on that one. Uh, it's a, man, this stock is way off. It's an all-time high. So let me see what, uh, what the monthlies are telling me. And I wonder if this was a reverse sticks, a reverse stock split. Uh, probably, it looks like it. On ah, there's nothing. Let, let, let's lean on at 1699. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's there's not going to be anything to lean on technically in any of these stocks, but they're just going to be they're going to be flying. You know, at the open when when we get the real uh, uh, volatility, real action, that they're going to fly some more. Um, who knows? We don't know how long these moves are going to be sustained for, but. Uh, I guess you're, to your point, you're right. Just watch to see if it had a previous move like a month ago, uh, call it a coronavirus move. And if not, then we're sort of in no man's land. So I don't know. There's not much really to say about any of them. Just to have them on your radar because uh, there will be opportunities. There will, there will be volatility with all of these stocks. And I didn't even name all of them. I'm sure there are more. I may have missed a couple. But 
Um, my entire wow, into it to buy credit karma. Yeah, that's a big one. The, the, my entire filter this morning, my scanner is uh, is coronavirus plays essentially, and and VIX and like reverse uh, inverse VIX. And you know. this deal that was just so, announced too. Uh, oh, so that that was reported over the weekend. I guess it's official now. But wow. yeah, Intuit is paying paying seven billion dollars uh, to buy Credit Karma. That was that was rumored yesterday. I guess the the, the PR just may have dropped, but that's uh, that's interesting. So and we can we can I mean Intuit is Intuit, but uh, the real action this morning is going to be in these coronavirus stocks. I, I can't even find a stock on my scanner that is not either a leverage ETF or related to coronavirus. They're all just moving off that. Also, um, look at the short interest in some of your stocks here. You know, and, if, it's, yeah, if a stock and, has – too. Yeah, yep. If it, yeah, low float, uh, high short interest. Uh, you know, some of those uh, shorts just may be uh, – you know, have no choice but to be – you know, <laughs> they might just be being bought in and not even under their own volition. So when you're looking at those stocks, that's a couple important factors – uh, the low float and also the um, the short interest. Something yeah, like and I, I do want to I, w- I do want to just follow up on a couple of names that we discussed last sure. week. And just uh, it seems like this morning there's just a, a bit of a reframing of the narrative. So when when we look at names like Virgin Galactic or or Tesla, for example, uh, in light of this reframing. I'm I'm just curious what that says. If I just pull up a chart of SPCE, obviously it's down this morning. Everything is down this morning. Um, but in light of this, uh, of a widespread sell-off, how do you look at you know space right now? Uh, space, if you got yourself into it, get yourself out of it. It had a hell of a move last week. Uh, I mentioned uh, a technical level uh, on Friday. If you want to go back and listen to Friday's show on that, uh, that's be that'll be the area I'm keeping an eye on in SPCE. Uh, Tesla uh, is trading below that uh, that offering price. I believe that was at eight sixty, uh, trading down forty three seventeen. So, uh, you know those stocks have had amazing runs here, uh, despite what's going on in the coronavirus. But uh, you know, just keep your targets, keep your levels in mind. Uh, Tesla, I mean, that they had that low. I mean, I think the low was under 700 bucks for that one. So a lot of people still sitting on a lot of profits in this. Maybe be less inclined to try and buy the dip that sell the rip on these stocks that have had some major runs. Right. And so what's interesting is I was prepared, you know, to discuss, do a lot of earnings previews today. And I don't even know if earnings really matter. I mean, obviously they matter. But to your point, Joel, about uh, uh, this being a, having to lower expectations for the quarter, the question was always how far forward are you going to have to lower your expectations for? Are you going to have to lower them for the quarter, for two quarters, for the year, for two years? You know, that was always the question. Um, And so in light of, in light of this, this morning's market, uh, you have to, you have to seriously wonder if uh, expectations are going to be lowered beyond, beyond this current quarter. Uh, by Apple is uh, correcting me. The offering price is seven sixty seven, and I, I was thinking eight sixty seven. So it's oh, a firm buck. So, so that's what I would use. Uh, I would use that as support in uh, in Tesla, and then look at your your high from last week. Let's see what the high was in Tesla from last week. Nine fifty. Yeah, that yeah couldn't get quite up to that all time high. So, uh, good good point. Thanks for pointing that out to me. Buy underscore Apple.
Uh, and you mentioned uh, Intuit, uh, they're, they're, they're buying credit karma. They're also due to report earnings, uh, I believe after the close today. Yes, so uh, I'm sure they'll, con they'll confirm it uh, if they haven't already. The, uh, the transaction with the credit card. Yeah, and yeah. That's, and that's really the only, the only other headline this morning uh, beyond coronavirus volatility is that just Intuit paying $7 billion for credit karma. Um, it won't impact the stock or anything, but it's just another headline. The only headline that I'm seeing. Uh, I don't know how big of a deal. How big is uh, the market cap for Intuit? Do you have that on there? Because it's a $7 billion deal. Uh been hitting acquires as of late. They are hitting this one now. It was residing very, very close to its all-time high, which was uh, three hundred six eighty-nine. So there was there, there were seventy-six billion-dollar companies. Okay, so this, I mean, they're hitting it. Maybe more. You know, it's not a huge, a huge acquisition for them, but nonetheless, the acquires have have been weak on this pre-market low coming in for into it. 285 and what do we have on the day i mean we've just whooshed up and actually you had a low at 284.45 on the uh, february 4th that's when we had part of the rally so let's see if we get back down to that area as we did in the pre-market so look at it potential support that 284 and a half 285 in into it yeah for those of you who use credit karma uh for any free services have fun paying for those services now is that <laughs> they're gonna it, make people pay I, I mean that's what intuit does they they make you pay to file your taxes when it, when it's free so you know they, that's that's what they do um uh so yeah <laughs> okay um what did i want to go to and i can't yeah. really think of any peers right with uh with credit karma i mean lending no not, now I, they're kind of uh -huh. unique yeah um, but it is another uh, financial services uh, financial services deal. We we had the E Trade deal last week, and so right for two weeks in a row. Yeah, changes coming in financial services. That's for sure. Uh, the um, you know this is the what the third. I mean, if you do the TD Ameritrade and Schwab, and you take this one, so yeah. a lot of consolidation in the, in the financial services that they um, oh, low fees, hard to make money with with zero commissions. Yeah, so, interesting. Accounts, accounts, accounts. Get those accounts. Pretty much, yeah. I, I do want to uh, look at Fang here. Uh, what sure. Leaves, what leaves the market higher also leaves the market lower. Uh, I'll just start with the F and Fang. I just go to Facebook here, and it's just you, you have to uh, assume that you know what I just said would hold true. What, what leaves the market higher will leave the market lower, and you're seeing that this morning. Facebook, you know what? It, it, it spit in the face of people that sold it off that earnings report, right? And uh, came back, tried to fill the gap from that area. So I'll be looking. Here we are down um, 603. I let, I think, a number on the downside for uh, you long-term holders. 20106, 20250. Uh, those were the lows. Let's call it 202. That was the area where they hit it down after earnings, and then all of a sudden earnings didn't care anymore, and it came back up. So, I mean, even if you want to even, you know, put something maybe at 200 and, uh, you know, see if you get hit on that. But that's where the potential support uh, for any any resistance on these things, since we are gapping so much lower, Look at the low from the previous day, uh, 208.63. I mean, yeah, I mean, we got a 
20, 30, 40 point spoo rally, you might be able to sneak out there at 208.50, 2860, get done. If it gets up there, probably won't be up there for very long. And then uh, the question on Amazon is, can that hold its gap? It, it looks like it has. Looks like it has. Uh, yeah, where are we trading at now? Uh, Amazon, you just found a patient buyer here. Uh, hit 2002.12. So we'll call it 2002. You're trading above that right now by, wow, sorry, by 15, uh, by 25 bucks. So that's way off its pre market low. Also, the low the day after the earnings was 2000 and a quarter. And then you get a gap, uh, you know, you got that huge gap to fill between 2002.27 and 1872.87. So 2000 still support in Amazon until it's free. S&P's trying to rally, trying to rally a little bit, still down 85 and a quarter handles, 24, 54 and a quarter. What about Apple here? Apple came out and told you to sell their stock last week. Basically, well, well and quite say or like, not sell their stock, but they said, say. "Hey, well, to me, when a company comes out and warns and says they don't know the impact of something, uh, yeah. to me, so you're now ten bucks through that low from last week. Three ten was a big holder. I'm not, yeah, I scratched that. That was a little too harsh. Apple did not tell you to sell their stock. Uh, <laughs> Three ten fifty was your low on Friday." That was also the pre-market low on the day, I believe a week ago Monday, if you go back and look, I believe the pre-market low was right in that area. So now old uh, support, now new resistance here. Hey, we've come this close to 300. What's the pre-market low? Uh, but, oh, pre-market low is below that. Pre-market low is at uh, 297.81, and then the another 15-minute low at 298.31. So if you're looking under 300 based on the pre-market chart, 298, you have some po potential support area. Uh, but if you want to go to the daily charts, at oh, I see a low at 297. Man, 97.98 looks like a decent area. If not, it drops off to 92.75. And folks, just keep in mind, you know, if you're rushing out to buy the dip in this one, Spencer, show the monthly on this one uh, going back. I mean, if you want to buy the dip, there's a lot of area for it to dip into. Just bases the monthly chart, all those green candles. So uh, we'll see what happens today in Apple. Currently trading down 11.74 at 301.31. And what about Netflix here? It is trying to rally in the pre-market. Let's see what's going on with, you know, now you talk about people staying inside and, you know, yeah. watching more Netflix, ordering their Netflix. That could be a factor. Uh, 353, and you are way off that low here. That was the one to buy the dip in. Uh, up to 369.80. So there is, uh, they're just called 370. And what do you need to do to get back into, ooh, three. 377.90 was a low on Friday. So if you're looking for a gap fill, that's where it goes. S&Ps, we are 10 bucks off the low here. And you know what I heard? And I don't know if Mr. Buffett said this, or I saw this on TweetDeck or your Twitter or something, that if we can get to the warmer weather, uh, as far as this virus is concerned, that I guess the, now this is totally uninformed in what I hear. I think I heard Buffett say it and that, you know, the way he was looking at it, that the warmer weather uh, could be something that could uh, impact, but Hey, 
<laughs> you're talking March, April, May, you know, June, you're talking about three or four months. And I still don't know if even the warmer weather uh, can do it. It's a, we don't, we don't know very much about this. No, no, we don't. Um, and I just want to f- finish up on the Fang thing. Just look to pull up uh, Google here. Okay. Uh, let's just take a look at Google. G-O-O-L-G. I like to go with the Goog, not the L. Boom, boom. Uh, same chart. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're looking at these pre-market charts and these Fang stocks, the buy the dippers are already out there. Uh, Google hit a pre-market low. Pre-market low of 14.1940, boom, and now it's just really pesky here. Like 14.46 is where you know, whoever scooped it up early, uh, right off that 4 a.m. open. That's when the spoos must have made the low too. Whoosh down off the 4 a.m. open. Anybody that picked it up on the cheap there is letting it out. Let's just call it 14.50 in the goog. Uh, so there's going to be gaps on like every chart now. Yes. Yeah, just about, just about, and uh, maybe with somebody like your your thicker New York stocks uh, that you know like just out to lunch bids. Uh, those maybe have more of a chance to you know open flat. You know, someone's just leaving a five or ten thousand share order there, and the ten you know the, the designated market maker doesn't get enough uh, enough sales. Yeah. And, you know, boom, they can hit it. So uh, that's what a lot of gaps in here. Uh, big gap, and not, not that big of a gap in the S and P's. Uh, you have between 32-12 and thirty three twenty eight. That's a six sixteen point gap that uh, we don't know if it will ever be filled. All right, I do want to bring on our guest, uh, our first guest of the day, Michael Pactor, he's equity analyst at Wedbush Securities. Michael, uh, good morning. Hello, how are you guys? Uh, good. How about yourself? Oh, just having my first cup of coffee. All right. Uh, Michael, to the best of your knowledge, has, uh, it, have any of the companies in your coverage uh, come out and said anything with regards to the impact of coronavirus? Uh, you know, I haven't seen anything other than, you know, Facebook pulling out of Mobile World Congress, but everybody did that. So, right. you know, nobody that I cover is uh, deep in the weeds in China. Um, I, we cover a couple of uh, hardware guys, but but again, you know, it's the the biggest thing is they assemble there, and they can get out. And I cover little guys like Turtle Beach, um, so they can shift that to Mexico and have started to GoPro, as you know, already did that. Um, nobody's really impacted. You know, Best Buy probably the most of anybody, and that's primarily sourcing. And uh, bigger televisions tend to come from Mexico, so not an impact there. Um, iPhones will be a problem for Best Buy if if this persists, and if iPhone is is disrupted in the fall because the the next model is going to be a problem for Best Buy if they don't have any. But nobody else. I mean, you know, IMAX has already has gotten hit by IMAX China getting killed. And, you know, as, as you guys mentioned, um, warmer weather, probably a good thing. People probably will start to venture out. The virus will probably go away. But that does hurt. You know, people aren't going to go sit in theaters. Uh, theaters are closed in China. So they're the ones that are directly impacted. The rest of my coverage, not really. Mike, you've been around Wall Street for quite a long time here, uh, maybe as long as me here. You, 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 you've seen different things. Uh, you know, the crash of 87, uh, the Internet bubble the uh, financial crisis and the markets always, you know, come through with flying colors and these kind of things. Do you, do you see any reason for things to be any different this time? 
Well, we we are freaking old, aren't we? Yes, I did. I did <laughs> live through all those things. Um, look, how I mean, about I, that I'm crash? Gonna, of, how about that crash at twenty nine? Was yeah, that a 20, doozy? I, I miss I miss that one. Um, <laughs> the truth is that it, the way that equities are structured and the way that that debt is structured and cash and gold are structured, you have to make more money in equities. I mean, it, it's just the way that our our system works that people lend money to banks at very low interest rates, and then banks turn around and lend it to businesses at higher interest rates, and businesses have to make a return when they borrow at four or five percent. They have to earn more than that. So you're going to make money in equities over the long run period. And I think everybody knows that. Um, as far as you know, the coronavirus being an issue, we don't know how bad this is, but the odds of it wiping out the entire population are pretty low. And you know, I've seen comparisons to SARS. I remember that. And you know, it was a problem for several months. This thing's going to be a problem for several months. Um, you know, I, I, I don't really worry that it's going to spread globally and everybody's going to die. Um, I do worry that China's disrupted and probably for, you know, four to six months. And that is a problem, and that's going to disrupt the supply chain. It's going to cause a turn down in GDP in, in a lot of places that rely upon China. But nothing's going to be lasting. I mean, we, we will figure this out. It is a bad form of pneumonia. I mean, people die because their lungs fill up and, and science is going to figure out how to treat it. And I think the Chinese have been less than forthcoming about how bad it is. But I think the rest of the world is, is taking steps to protect all of us. So over the long run, no, I don't think this impacts the market you know, a lot. Um, it's going to be a dip for a while and it could last six months. Okay. So then that will go kind of lead into my second question here. Uh, so I mean, our, you know, is it, we had Apple and Coca-Cola last week, you know, slashing Q2, right? So our, for Apple's runs a little, little different quarters. Uh, does it take a quarter? Does it take two quarters? I mean, how long? I guess it, it, it's hard to say because you don't know how long the virus is going to have its impact. But, you know, it's got, it, it's got to cycle through. How, how long do you think it's going to take? I mean, it, it, depending on how long you know, it takes to find a cure for the virus, I mean, could we look at it one quarter? To, are you adjusting any numbers on any of your companies based on this? I mean, other than the, the ones I mentioned, Best Buy and IMAX, no. Okay. Um, but the, the, look, the market, it, it, the market is going to go up over the long run. It's going to dip if you see a decline in GDP. If you see a recession, then the market's going down. And, and the, I, I think the problem is not how long. The problem is how deep. And, you know, I don't think you're going to see a recession in the U.S. because of this, but you're going to see slowing growth. We're going to go from, call it, 2.5% to something probably under that, probably under under 1%. And if that happens for more than a quarter, I think the market's going to retract a bit. So how bad can it be? It, market Market's corrected, I believe, as much as 20% three or four times in the last, in the last five years. So I could see a 20%, you know, drift lower. I, I, again, I'm not a market strategist, so I could gotcha. be wrong. Market analyst. And, and what about, uh, also you run a thing over, well, they bring down the numbers, right? And then they beat the lowered expectations, right? Precise, then, yeah, precisely. Yeah. So that's another, uh, another, uh, another facet to, you know, another thing to keep into consideration. Uh, let's go into just some of your area of coverage here. Uh, you stuck by uh, those video gamers, uh, Activision, Take-Two Interactive, uh, 
during that prolonged downturn. As you said, you don't see much of them being affected as of yet by this virus here. Uh, can we take a look at a couple of those stocks and uh, talk about your rating? Let's start with Activision. Okay. Um, Activision is probably the most exposed of all of them to China. And I guess the good news is that the coronavirus probably marginally helps them. Um, people largely play their games indoors to the extent that they're playing, you know, World of Warcraft in an internet cafe there, then that's a problem because people aren't leaving the house and going to internet cafes. They're not allowed to leave the house. Um, but to the extent they're playing mobile you know, playing games like Hearthstone mobile, it's actually good for them. And again, it is a small piece of revenue. I mean, it's, it's probably net under 10% of revenue. So uh -huh. we're talking about a one or 2% decline. Um, those guys really benefit in, in the summer from, I believe, announcements from tech giants that they're all going to compete with Google and offer games via streaming. So Google has already announced Stadia that launched in November. I think you're going to see Amazon at a minimum and probably Apple enter the fray, possibly Facebook. When everybody says, hey, what, uh, hey play any game you want on any screen that you have in your possession, you know, PC, screen, television, phone, tablet, and you can play any game without a console, that expands the addressable market by six to ten times. And you should see software sales over, over a few years double you're going to at least double. So I, I actually think anybody who's got intellectual property, Activision, EA Take Two, Ubisoft, uh, even Nintendo benefits bigly from that. And it's it's analogous to the movie theaters. You know, the movie studios used to only exhibit in theaters back in the 1940s. Now you can watch a movie on any device, any time, and movie sales are up. They just are up in different windows at different prices, but a lot more people see movies now than saw them back in the 1940s because of the distribution via streaming. I think the same exact thing happens with games. I think you get windows, segmentation of, of pricing, and you get a lot bigger revenue and profits from the IP owners, which are Activision, EA Take-Two, Nintendo, and Ubisoft. Uh, Michael, similar to how we've uh, really only asked you about coronavirus, uh, what is the sentiment like when you talk to uh, clients? Are, are they asking you uh, about the exposure, or are they, are, are they really just concerned about the fundamental thesis? Um, I've been asked really seldom. I'd say, you know, one out of ten ask about impact of China. And I guess, you know, live by China, die by China. All these guys, to some extent, talk about China. Ubisoft's been pretty vocal about that's their expansion plan, but they generate next to nothing in revenue from China. Um, EA has probably $150 million out of $5.4 billion in revenue coming from China, so pretty small 3%. Activision, I said, is probably closer to 10% from China, so they're impacted the most. Take-Two, probably single-digit as well. Um, not a big deal, and most of the stuff is mobile, um, so the guys who are making money mobile, that's not impacted by coronavirus at all. Okay. It's always good to get that perspective, right? Because we, we, you know, all over the, all over the news, all over the headlines. But what are people actually talking about, uh, you know, behind the scenes? Uh, so it's always good. It's nice to know that um, they're not as obsessed about coronavirus uh, as maybe some some of us are. I want to ask you about Roku here, uh, Michael. Uh, the reaction earnings very interesting. Uh, give us an update here on Roku. You know, it's one of those odd – I have a dilemma with the stock because it is a great company with a great product, 
and I just think it's overvalued. So I, I love everything that they do. I just don't understand the investor love affair with the stock. Um, my price target is you know more than more than ten dollars below yet the Friday close. It's going to probably hit my price target in the next couple of days, um, and I, mostly because I just can't assign a bigger than fifty times forward EBITDA multiple. I just don't get how people are willing to pay that. But the, the story there, which is actually pretty compelling, is that you know we're going to watch more streaming television on more television sets, and people don't have internet capable TVs in every room. And even if they have them, anything before 2016, excuse me, doesn't get stuff like Disney Plus. So it's an open question whether they'll get, you know, HBO Max or, or Peacock. And, you know, so I had to go buy a Roku box for my main TV because I bought my main TV in 2016 and it was a Samsung 65 inch and didn't get Disney Plus. And by the way, the most elegant interface I've ever seen. I just love the thing. I didn't have a new Roku. Oh my God, I love this thing. So they're going to absolutely power our access to all these different streaming services. The question is just, you know, how do they make money? And in the most recent quarter, they, they revealed they're not making money on selling us players. That's a half a percent margin. They're giving them away at, at cost. And they intend to make money by getting us to noodle around on the website and find the Roku channel and find other channels that they carry. They carry, you know, dozens of channels. And in exchange for carrying those channels, they get a portion of unsold ad inventory then Roku turns around and sells that ad inventory. So it's a really nice business model. And the more we watch television via a Roku device or a Roku operating system on an OEM TV, um, the more likely we're going to watch some ads that they collect revenue from. Um, so I see the, the revenue potential. The company is not particularly friendly. They don't break out the mix of revenue. They don't tell us what their ad revenues are. They just have platform revenue. We've got to figure it out. And that's a mishmash of signing people up for HBO and Disney Plus and collecting ad revenue. So we really don't know the mix. Anybody who says they do is, is lying. Um, and that's, I think, the problem. The lack of transparency keeps me from getting super bullish on it. If they become transparent, if they tell us how they make their money, maybe I'll like them a lot more. So great company, great product, in the right place, not a ton of competition. And I see them thriving. I just don't understand the share price. Isn't it just a question, though, of as the streaming pie gets bigger, so to Oroku, because they're, it's, not, it's not a question of any new competitor. They're they're really kind of the only game in town for streaming technology. Well, on the device on the device side, you can get a Chromecast stick or a Fire TV yeah. stick or an Apple TV. So, so they're not. And on the OS side, they're not yet in like Samsung TVs, which are giant sellers. Um, and Samsung thinks they can do it themselves. So, you know, the question is, does everybody give up? Does this become like Windows back in the 80s where every PC had to use Windows as their operating or, or not Windows, but uh, uh uh, DOS as their operating system. If everybody decides they have to use the Roku interface, then Roku wins by a mile. I just don't know what's going to happen. I don't really understand why Samsung doesn't use these guys. These guys are really good. And the the fee is single-digit dollars per television once. So everybody should be using this operating system. And once you have the Roku operating system, that's when they own the customer and they have a chance to sell advertising. What about some of these uh, theater stocks? I know you've been following those and I, IMAX, Cinemark, and whatnot. Um, 
you know, they had a tough time as late. Now you have, uh, you know, the streaming wars and going anything. Why don't you, I, I know I still like to go to the movies. Uh, give us your outlook for theater stocks. Yeah, that's that, that habit's not going away. And I think investors here are just outright dumb. Um, investors seem to think they know better and investors think everything is zero sum. So they think the more we watch movies on Netflix, the fewer movie theaters, you know, tickets we buy. Um, that's directionally probably slightly correct, but it's just wrong as a basis for shorting the stocks or, or getting out. Um, it, it's the same exact argument uh, that, you know, television was going to kill movie theaters back in the forties and it didn't. Um, we're going to consume more entertainment and we're going to consume more entertainment wherever we are, but that is an expanding market. And sure, the first window, which is movie theaters, loses a little bit of share, but it doesn't devastate them. I think the, the thesis to remember is that it is in the best interests of the movie studios to have movie theaters. They make more money if you see a movie in the theater than if you watch it on Netflix, period. And, you know, look at the look at movies like The Irishman. I mean, it was a great picture nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards, cost $150 million. No studio would touch it um, because that was too big of a budget for a studio. They didn't think they could get payback. Only Netflix would make it, and so this movie got made and then generated something like $10 million at the box office. Netflix isn't making money on that. So the studios, they're going to make the Avengers for 250 and then do $2 billion in box office to get a return. They need box office to make money. They're not making money selling it to Netflix. So theaters aren't going away. Um, it is the best experience for, for concept films like Ford versus Ferrari. Just, it's just better on, in 1917, just better on the big screen. You're going to see it on the big screen. And yes, there's going to be plenty of ancillary revenue from streaming. I saw Parasite on demand. I didn't see it in the theater. So sure, um, they can make money that way as well. But without theatrical, that film's not winning Best Picture. And if it doesn't win Best Picture, I'm not spending five ninety nine to see it. So the studio understands that they want those movies distributed in, in theaters. I think the theaters are compelling buys here. Cinemark probably better than AMC because AMC is really heavily indebted and Cinemark really is not. Um, but they're both probably going to go up by 50% in the next year. Whoa. All right. Uh, Michael Pachter is an analyst at White Bush Securities. Michael, thanks so much for the time today. My pleasure. All right. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to, before we uh, wrap up uh, the show today, I just wanted to get to a couple more things sure. that were on my list. We didn't mention Wells Fargo. They uh, announced a, a settlement with the DOJ. I uh, believe that that was fr that came out Friday, um, but they're gonna they're gonna pay three they're gonna pay three billion dollars um, to the DOJ and SEC with regards to their uh, ongoing investigations there. Uh, so we can, I can pull up a chart of Wells Fargo. I mean, it, it'll trade with the overall market here this morning. Yeah, I mean, the one thing about Wells Fargo is it, you know, it's just been a laggard here since they had those problems in 2018. Uh, I know Mr. Buffett, uh, I don't know if he's completely out of the stock, but he's not, he, no, he's not. He's not completely out, but probably has an extremely low cost basis. So it hasn't been performing well in a strong market environment for the sector. How do you think it's going to perform well in a, you know, sideways to bear market? So uh, cautious on Wells Fargo here, basically at any level. Uh, monthly support 
$45. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go kind of wide on that one. Uh, real bad month for Wells Fargo yesterday, uh, or last month. Uh, moving, moving, uh, moving opposite of the other issues in the sector. So I don't think the interest rates or uh, whatever is going to help that stock out. The worm has turned in uh, Wells Fargo. I can't remember if uh, Mr. Buffett ever uh, came out and said an, an opinion on cryptocurrency, but he did this morning, said it has yeah. no value. He had does not and will never own cryptocurrency. So maybe. Yeah, that's that. That's not a surprise. No, maybe maybe that's your uh, your uh, catalyst or non catalyst resistance here this morning. I don't know headline resistance uh, from from Warren Buffett or eight forty seven. Joel, how are we doing out there? Uh, we're creeping toward the lows of the session here, Spencer. Uh, we're down 90 handles at 32.49 and a quarter. Pre-market low comes in at 41.75. Um, if you go back on your dailies here, I'm sure you can, in, in your stocks uh, or indexes, I'm sure you can find some recent reference points. Uh, do you have any reference as far as limit down? I know we're not. Even you don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Okay. Limit right. down. Limit down in the S and P's is seven percent. Uh, we're only down two point seven percent, and I wrote it down. It comes in. Where, where did I write it down at? It comes in at uh, I believe thirty one oh five and a quarter. Yeah. So that so, is. So we're a, down. We're down, but we ain't close. Uh, no, we're not. We're not even halfway there. Uh, yeah. So. Okay. And it's funny because when we uh, during that thing, well, it's not funny, but uh, when we had bet on Friday, you know, wow. we were talking about limit downs and stuff, and we were just talking about it's been so long since we had a limit down because of the expanded parameters. But right now, yeah, seven percent that would take you down to thirty-one oh five. That's a hundred and forty handles away from here. Yeah, I I think you know what's funny is uh, I'd be a buyer there. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Two hands. Um, it's nice. It, it, two hands. Yeah. Uh, that was Unlimited it. quantity. You know, if you use two hands in a pit, you get hit with an. You could hit with get hit with a thousand cars. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. I, I told you that's why the one guy used to wear. Uh, he used to tie a shoelace around his wrist. Oh, and so he then, could. Right. And then he would tie the other part of the shoelace to his belt buckle, so he so could literally could raise his hand. Yeah, so you could erase. So you go up, and then like the other hand would like yank it down. It was pretty funny, but it saved him from getting hit with uh, five hundred and thousand lots. So yeah, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty cheap shoelace. All right, uh, I do want uh, to play a couple of interviews that were recorded last week. Sure. And I want to air them today uh, ahead of the. Uh, well, the Benson Cannabis Capital Conference starts today, goes till tomorrow. Uh, before I do that, uh, Joel, I'll just give you a chance to give your final thoughts, and then. I will uh, play a couple of interviews that uh, happened last week. So final thoughts, Joel, on uh, how to approach today. Carefully, uh, keep an eye um, on your pre-market lows. Uh, see if those lows coincide with uh, any any other recent levels. Uh, if you are, you know, trying to buy the dip, uh, you know, with the markets moving and this kind of uh, – um, environment. If you normally trade a thousand shares, you can get the same bang for the buck for with 500, you know, with only half that size. So there, you know, so be careful on that. And, uh, you know, don't, you know, a lot of days I joke around, you know, don't frown, average down. Uh, today, I wouldn't say that. Today is a really yeah. unusual circumstance here. 
Uh, if the pre-market low, keep an eye on our 32.41.75. Uh, that's your pre-market low. That's where looks where we're heading. So just uh, look at things in the relation to the where the pre-market highs and lows. At least that's where you know there were buyers before. That doesn't guarantee that they're going to be there again. All right. I want to play a chat uh, that we had with Jessica Billingsley. She is a CEO of Akerna, a uh, technology uh, play within the uh, cannabis industry. She'll be speaking at the conference uh, here uh, this week. So I want to play this chat now that we did with Jessica Billingsley. This was last week. All right. We're live now with Jessica Billingsley. She's the CEO of Akerna. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us on Premarket Prep. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so I guess first we should start off with what are you doing at the conference? Benzinga is one of my favorite conferences and I, I really love the confluence of industry leaders and investors uh, that you meet at, at Benzinga and I just in general love being able to connect with global thought leaders and uh, those who share my passion for innovation in the industry. And you're going to be on a panel, correct? Correct. So in Miami, I am participating on a panel that will be discussing cannabis tech, the hottest companies impacting the industry. And that makes sense because Akerna is uh, a cannabis tech company. You guys are in ancillary, which means you don't actually touch the plant. But explain for listeners who don't know what Akerna actually does. Sure. So Akerna is a software company for the cannabis industry. We are a cannabis compliance technology platform. Uh, as MJ Freeway, a little over 10 years ago, we invented the concept of seed to sale tracking. So the idea of tracking a plant through, uh, if, I had, if I were holding, here we go, I've actually got a product right here. Let's say that this was some cannabis infused sugar. Uh, if this uh, were cannabis infused sugar, I'd be able to tell you the farm on which the plants were grown, when they were harvested, on what day, at what location, when that product was extracted into cannabis extract, when that extract was infused into the sugar product, and finally when the sugar product was uh, shipped to what retail location and when it was sold and to whom. So that's the core of the technology that, uh, that we invented and, and that makes up Akerna as a compliance technology platform. Today we serve uh, hundreds of businesses and governments in every legal US state and we're also operating in 14 other countries. And we, we have two uh, acquisitions that we recently announced, one which we closed on, Solo Sciences, which is a, a business to consumer uh, adjunct to the product that allows a consumer to interact with a smartphone, a la with the product, and be able to see whether it is a legitimate product or not. So think um, solution to the vaping crisis. How do you do all that? <laughs> When you have a technology ecosystem that works, that, that, is, that is built as an infrastructure as a service and, and built really to connect other technologies, uh, that's the core of, of what we do with our infrastructure as a service platform. And, and, and we're really built to continue to connect other technology companies, both with our integrations and, and partners, as, as well as with future acquisitions. 
Okay, the cannabis industry had a uh, tremendous run in uh, 2019 or 2018, uh, a little bit down in 2019, trying to recover here in 2020. Uh, just give us, a, uh, looking at the, you know, the whole year, give us some pros and cons for the cannabis industry in 2020. So pros and cons for the cannabis industry. I, I, did, I do these predictions every year. Uh, and okay. and I, I'm about 80% success rate on my predictions for, uh, for, for 2019, for, for last year. And, and, and one of my predictions was that we would see uh, a reckoning with some of the public companies, especially the Canadian public companies. Uh, what I can tell you is that uh, it's really interesting to view through our data and our analytics, what the, what the actual trend of the cannabis industry is. And what we see is that actually month over month, uh, cannabis uh, consumer and patient consumption continues to increase. So despite some of the, the public markets correction, which we've seen, we are continuing to see growth and, and healthy month-over-month month growth within the cannabis industry. And um, actually, one of the insights that I predicted for this coming year uh, is that data will be the new cannabis currency. Uh, real data has been hard to obtain for cannabis businesses, investors, and governments. And as the industry both expands in size and consolidates in terms of the number of businesses, more and more the, the smart professionals running those businesses will demand rich data uh, that's used to make business decisions. And uh, we recently announced uh, our uh, deal with Pax Labs to deliver uh, first of its kind analytical insights. 2020 is also an election year. Do you see um, any headwinds uh, on the political landscape in 2020? Well, this was one of my 20% of predictions that did not pass last year, but I, I, I brought it back for this year that, uh, that we will see uh, President Trump here in the U.S. do something via executive action at a time when it can help garner the most votes. And I will caveat that by saying I think it will depend on what is happening in the broader political landscape, uh, whether that is one of the cards he wants to play. But I, I certainly think that that is uh, a strong possibility and that cannabis has become a bipartisan issue. And finally, uh, skeptics of the cannabis industry will, you know, uh, point to the, you know, the black market and the price and the quality and things like that. What, what would you say to an investor that was a little bit shy about investing in the cannabis industry uh, based on the size and the space of uh, the black market? Overwhelmingly, people want to know what they're putting in and on their bodies, uh, not, not just in, for cannabis, but in, in the broader market. And certainly the traction that we're seeing with solo sciences with uh, the, the trust mark where consumers can verify that they're getting the product that they think they're getting. Uh, we, we signed a deal with 14th round, which uh, makes us now 40% of the California vaporizer market. Uh, so I think what you're seeing is you're seeing strong consumer demand for transparency and accountability. And that's a trend that goes well beyond just the cannabis industry. And, and, and so there will always be folks who will not 
care about labeling uh, or, or care about ingredients uh, on, on their foods and products they consume, but the, the trend is definitely not headed in that direction. More and more people are becoming very savvy and, and wanting that transparency about what we're putting in and on our bodies. Uh, Jessica, before I let you go, I have one question, which is, uh, is access to capital the biggest challenge uh, for cannabis companies right now? And if it isn't, what is? So there's certainly some challenges with access to capital. Is the question whether that's the particular challenge for our business? Oh, or just yeah, for the yeah, industry as a whole? Just mm. the industry as a whole. So certainly with our positioning as, as being a, a NASDAQ-listed uh, tech company working for the cannabis industry, <clears throat> we are, we're very well capitalized. Uh, and, and from our perspective, we're doing what we said we'd do and working tirelessly to return shareholder value uh, while driving the importance of accountability and transparency. Uh, for the broader cannabis industry, we are seeing some trends toward uh, tightening of capital. And at the end of the day, uh, capital is important for uh, businesses, for economy. And uh, any tightening of capital will drive further consolidation, in my opinion. All right, we've been on with Jessica Billingsley. She's the CEO of Akerna. You can see her speak at the Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference in Miami. Jessica, thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to seeing what you have to say at the conference uh, down there in Miami. Thank you so much. Looking forward to it as well. All right, so that was our chat with Jessica. I, I do now want to play the final of the interviews we did, the last one uh, for the Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference. This one is a chat with Rob Seacrest. Rob is the co-founding president of P Polaris Equity Group. It is a real estate focused, uh, he's, he's a real estate investor and he, he invests in real estate in the cannabis industry. He has a can cannabis focused commercial real estate debt fund, a little bit of a different perspective on the space. So I'll play my chat now with Rob Seacrest from Polaris Equity Group. All right, we're here with Rob Seacrest, who is the co-founding president of Polaris Equity Group. Rob, thanks for coming out with us today. Hello, thanks for having me. Uh, so you do something that's a little bit unique uh, compared to the, the people we normally talk to when, with regards to cannabis, and you're mostly focused on cannabis uh, real estate. So tell us a little bit about what's going on in that market right now. Sure. So all of the cannabis operators, just buying or acquiring the property doesn't get them there where they can generate cash flow. Cannabis tenants require millions of dollars of tenant improvements for these properties, uh, usually $150 to $200 a square foot minimum, depending on what type of uh, segment of the cannabis-related business they're going into. And those facilities have to have all those buildouts put into there before they can earn any money day one. So just acquiring or refinancing a property is, is, is not even half the story. Um, so what we decided to do was focus all of our expertise from doing more than a billion dollars in value add transactions where we specialize in lending to build rehab or do tenant improvements to fully stabilize properties. And so what we do is we actually provide the full capital stack where we will provide the money for the acquisition, the tenant improvements, and the equipment, all in the, from the proceeds of our loan. We're actually also able to lend on the fully stabilized value of the property, and we use cannabis comps for income approach and sales comps, so we use the cannabis valuation as well. 
We have many tools in our toolbox that we utilize to allow us to write that type of a structure, but that's the gist. And so by providing all of that capital stack, when you close a loan with Polaris, you know that that tenant, the cannabis operator, is going to be fully stabilized at the end of, of our loan so that they can generate income, at which point they can refinance out of our transaction. So, so talk to us about the past couple of years here, because it's been a pretty volatile time for the industry. And so how has... Uh, how has your, your business changed in the past? Sure. So this is where people get stuck. They conflate the value of the cannabis operators and the lack of liquidity that they have on their balance sheets yep. to they try to comport that with, with us. And it's, it's really, it does play into it. But remember, our borrowers are not the operators. Our borrowers are the owners of the real estate. We lend off of the value of the real estate. We do underwrite and check the credit worthiness of the tenant, um, and that is part of our process, but we are utilizing the, the property, the, the guarantee from the sponsors, um, and then we check the credit worthiness. So to answer your question, um, in the, since we've been originating loans since 2016, we've done 65 million uh, in transactions. We don't have any defaults of any of our transactions in the cannabis portfolio. We've been able to selectively pick the best in class top transactions because we see probably anywhere from five to 10 transactions a day. We have more than 150 million in our pipeline that's already pre-approved and had the preliminary due diligence completed on it. We have 44 million that we're closing in the next 45 days. So we, we see a lot. We pick the very best transactions. We're very, very selective and um, you know we have stringent underwriting. So with those policies and procedures in place in our experience from doing 5,000 loans in, you know, previous uh, non-cannabis sector, we've applied all those best practices and it hasn't affected us. Uh, it, it, some of our borrowers are struggling with maintaining uh, capital on their, their, you know, their operations, but they, by utilizing us, they were able to uh, leave more capital on their balance sheets than if they didn't use us because they would have had to use that capital on their balance sheet, the tenant, to make those tenant improvements and buy that equipment where we were able to help reduce that. So everybody is coming this direction towards us to help minimize that as much as possible. And so the loans uh, that you're making for these properties, is it primarily uh, domiciled? Are these properties in the United States, Canada? Uh, do you do anything overseas? Yeah, so uh, must be domiciled within the United States um, uh, in, in actual states, not not U.S. protectorates. Um, we're, that's our only focus. That's where our license is. We may start doing some other stuff in our next fund that we that we launch, but currently just domestic. All right, and then uh, these lands. I mean, we all know that uh, you know farmers have been you know, on their heels uh, for years, uh, different reasons. But um, is that what you see? Is it, it just that uh, these old farmlands, these guys are giving up on wheat, corn, yeah. soybeans and stuff and making the transition to, uh, to growing cannabis? Yeah, so uh, that kind of dovetails to something different. We, we, we primarily only lend on commercial buildings. We're not an ag lender. That is a very different skill set to do an ag loan, and uh, I only know of one, one, one group that does those on a very limited basis at this time. So that's not something that we would do. We're, we focus on commercial buildings and the build-out of those buildings for those tenants um, as opposed to any agricultural type of transactions. 
And what percentage would you say of, uh, you know, of the, the cannabis being grown is done in these commercial buildings as opposed to, you know, traditional agricultural, uh, you know, farmland? Um, well, I, I wouldn't have a, a metrics to provide that to you, but what I can tell you of our 30 transactions uh, that we've completed, almost everyone had some element of indoor cultivation that there's a few we did we have a few dispensaries that didn't i'm just trying to think off the top of my head so most of them have some element of uh indoor cannabis transaction i would say probably 25 to 27 of them uh, had some element of indoor cultivation so rob you uh deal with both private and institutional investors and i'm just curious about what the difference level of demand is yeah so um unfortunately there's no institutional investors that we're aware of yet that are able to invest oh. in this space but okay. we call them institutional check writers meaning somebody that can write more than a, a million dollars okay. um so you know what we've learned is that uh, everybody is really interested in what's going on. Um, most people that entered the space entered it on the equity side, looking for those you know, uh, 10x returns, and that's where they got clobbered. We decided to take the, the, uh, the more difficult road and do a debt fund, um, and you know, our target is 15% uh, on an annualized basis. We have hit that this last year at 15.5, and we believe that we'll continue to hit that and we're secured by assets with cash flowing distribution. So we, you know, we're in a kind of a different lane than everybody else was. And originally we couldn't get those institutional check writers to talk to us because they wanted these massive upsides. Now that's all shifting and coming to us. And, you know, we should be able to double their, their money in about five years uh, if we continue on our 15% uh, projection. And then Rob, you're, of course, we'll, we'll be at the uh, Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference uh, down in Miami. Tell us a little bit about what you're looking forward to. Yeah, so I'm um, really looking forward to uh, attending our first Benzinga event. Um, we have seen uh, some of the information from those before, and we're, we're, we're very proud to be, uh, be attending that and a keynote speaker um, with some very in, in, uh, people, impressive people. Um, we'll be out there all week um, for various events that we have going on scheduled out there, but um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'll be at the 930 uh, panel, the VIP panel. A few more questions here before we let you go. So, um, so like, is it these old industrial buildings that, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. people, so, man, you, manufacturers pick up and left? Is that, is these yeah. the type of facilities that, mm -hmm. uh, that you guys are looking at? Sure. So tell me how much time I have left and I'll give you a couple of quick case studies depending on which how much time you have. Go for it. Just okay. Give, give us so one. It, it can range anything from an old shuttered building or, or a retail complex to a brand new building that is being built for a publicly traded um, pharmaceutical company with, with, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of, uh, of orders for their product. Um, I can give you a quick uh, a case study, one of our transactions, this was for Candescent. Uh, we were the lender for them to build out a 27,000 square foot facility in Desert Hot Springs. Um, this was their third facility in the area. They were an existing operator, existing cash flows. Everything was, was, uh, was easy to underwrite on this particular transaction for us. The purchase price was 4.5 million. The tenant improvements were 4.5 million, so 9 million in cost 
On that transaction, we had them come in with 4.5 million and we made a $4.5 million loan. We dispersed our 4.5 million in 80 draws that were processed in 12 months. And why I, I talk about that particular part is that these facilities are doing millions of dollars a month. Um, this particular one is, is more than a million dollars a month. And that speed of time of processing those draws is actually more important by uh, orders of magnitude than the pricing of the loan. And this is why that particular uh, facility doing $1.3 million a month, if it took 12 months to build that facility, you lost 1.3 million in opportunity costs. If I could get that facility built or finished because I can keep the draws being processed in one to three days, which most lenders are five to 10 days or banks uh, two to four weeks, if I could save a month or two in processing those draws by expediting it, you're saving millions of dollars as opposed to worrying about the, uh, the pricing of the loan, which might be a couple of points, might be 90 or $180,000 in this particular circumstance. One, one, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, finish Rob. I was just saying, it's, this is what I want to talk about at Benzinga. Is everybody, most people are, are only educated about the pricing of the loan. They only know to look at the pricing of the loan. They don't think about the back end of the loan because most of them have never been in a construction loan. And this is the part that is by far the most important thing. And that's what I want to talk about at our conference. Now, very interesting. And just one final question here. Uh, a lot of the um, reason the overhang in some of these uh, cannabis stocks is just like there's just too much supply out there. Um, your business is increasing. Do you see, uh, you know, like a, a saturation point or do you think obviously starting this business, you think that there's room for it to grow? Just, just talk about, you know, the saturation point for, you know, for the cannabis supply and, uh, you know, potent I, I, I know you don't want to talk about the potential potential impact on cannabis stocks, but uh, yeah. just so, make a brief comment on that. Yeah, so on cannabis supply, um, each of the markets that we're in, we're analyzing that, and we can only you know re review it from the time that we originate that transaction for that particular tenant, for that particular cannabis-related business segment that they're in, for that geographic area. Um, we do our best to, to, to get an understanding of what's happening there. We structure the deal so we have protective equity and personal guarantees from the owner of the property. And then when the, prop, when the loan comes to term in 12 months or 18 months, we actually reanalyze all that stuff and see if there's been a compression or commoditization of the specific cannabis-related business tenant the avenue that they're in or a change in the, the demographics of that market, meaning that the, the cannabis green zone might have doubled or the adjacent city might be having more properties come online. We have to analyze all that stuff. So we do look at that. But to answer your specific question, our borrowers are still doing well. Um, even we have one borrower in, uh, the, up in the Northwest where everybody was most concerned and there was an oversupply. And this particular borrower, uh, everybody said that there was this massive oversupply and then nobody produced and now then, it, then the price shot back up. So the interesting thing about crops is that there might be an oversupply, but it's a, um, it's a commodity. It has a, a, an expiration shelf life. And so if it's you know, to supply and demand, that will, you could have an oversupply and the next month that could be gone because you had mold or something that, that wiped out big significant portions of that crop. So it seems to work itself out. We haven't had any issues with that um, impacting our borrowers yet. All right, Rob Seacrest is the co-founding president of Polaris Equity Group. Rob, enjoy the conference. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. I'll see you there.
All right, that was our chat with Rob Polaris, uh, or Rob Seacrest from Polaris Equity Group. I want to thank Rob and Jessica Billingsley for speaking to us last week. I want to thank Michael Pactor for speaking to us this morning. You can always catch the podcast of our show on any podcast platform, or we watch our show on youtube.com slash Benzinga TV. Uh, give us a call, 734-494-0246, or email us, premarket at Benzinga dot com please remember all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes only and not for investing or trading advice everyone have a great rest of your day we'll be back with you tomorrow Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.